Hello, hello, hello. Howdy doody. Uh, this is Inner Name here. I am Zach. And I am Chris. And you're back for another fine episode of mm. your favorite. Are they back or are we back? We're all back. We're all back. Yeah, we're good. all back. Just got to clear it up. Um, I hope sure. everybody's had a good week uh, and enjoyed the... We've definitely had like what seems to be like a really good week for... People checking us out. We've got some new people, so thanks yeah, to all you that are new sure. and all that keep coming back. We appreciate you guys, thanks, too. Thanks, everybody, and to those um, of you whom we don't know, because I think you're out there. Yeah, but that would encompass everybody, so <laughs> we, we don't know anybody. Definitely not. Just um, each other. So, yeah, this week's been all sorts of fun stuff. Um, I saw yeah. that there's a uh, asteroid on the way. To the United States, or to, really? to the Earth, not to the United States. Well, to the United States. The Earth. It's coming for a visit with and the president. This this uh, harkens back to our uh, where we mentioned we're going to have a podcast called Inter Size here, because <laughs> this is from the Jerusalem Post. Okay, uh, the, the headline is asteroid the size of eighteen walruses to pass Earth on Sunday, <laughs> according to NASA. <laughs> Oh wow! Yeah. Asteroid well, specific. Asteroid twenty twenty three JK. Also, the real name. Um, it's supposed to come close to the Earth. It won't hit us, but it's p- passing the Earth. Uh, it does come on a day when some people, over time, have believed that the end of the world will come on that day. Huh? But the the size, is, according to this, it's the size of eighteen walruses. You know, so we were talking about how, like, you know, metric systems too much. Americans will just do anything except use the metric system. <laughs> so measure it by walrus. <laughs> like, in case you were wondering, there's it, how big is this? Uh, it says it's 64 meters in diameter, okay? And it says it considers the walrus one of the most important and impactful species to live in the Arctic. <laughs> uh, an adult male Pacific walrus can grow as much as 3.6 meters. This means the asteroid... 2023 JK diameter is as much as almost 18 adult male walruses. Does the JK refer to just kidding? Well, that was the whole joke at the beginning, but that's the name that it has. I don't know how they do those. I mean, I'm sure it's some sort of numerical order or something. Yeah. Um, Just throw it at the wall, see which letters you get. Right. Um, Yeah, it could be. (laughs) Maybe it could be the name of the person that found it and saw it and like, you know, John... Kensington or something like that. Say Jose Klein. <laughs> Jose Klein, yes. <laughs> Professor Jose Klein. <laughs> um, this is the only. It says asteroid twenty twenty three is the only one set to pass on May twenty first, but some others were set to pass in the preceding days. And so these a are, smattering of them. These are other ones that they've had, right? Uh, this one, asteroid twenty twenty three JL two was measure it's estimated 71 meters and it says or 15 2022 honda civics <laughs> and this one asteroid 2023 is 12 meters in diameter or around three bottlenose dolphins it's just funny ways to measure things yes com. yes <laughs> it's a the jerusalem post and i swear that there was there was some part That's of this hilarious. article where it was talking about other things maybe that was it but yeah, this oh back in February, asteroid twenty twenty three CX one, the size of two Super Bowl trophies, <laughs> impacted the Earth specifically near Normandy in France. Huh. 
Um, not very big to Super Bowl trophies. I mean, compared to other right things, asteroids. Yeah, but then aside from that, other smaller objects, meteors, have already hit the Earth as well. One even happened in Israel, exploding in the northeast of the country back in April. So this was written just recently, so hmm. I'm assuming several months before that. A meteor the size of a Pembroke Welsh Corgi hit Texas. <laughs> and I swear to God, that's what it says. Uh, so, boy. yeah, it's like intersize here. <laughs> Pembroke Welsh Corgi. I saw a meme once that said, you know, Americans will do anything but use the metric system. And this guy responded. He said, come within two school buses of me and say that. Something like that. <laughs> it was hilarious. Oh, that's hilarious. So, yeah, be careful out there. Watch out for <laughs> walrus-sized... 18 walrus sized meteor asteroids sorry <laughs> meteors or meteors as well um yeah so yeah that's a good one uh we'll get into a couple other things but first uh we had a couple e- emails and one of them was asking about which direction the uh dogs poop oh right is it true that they face north when they use the bathroom right and uh it says canines choose to do so, choose to do in a north-south axis. Uh, they use the magnetic field when they are relieving themselves. All dogs. Is that why they sniff dogs around? Dogs tend so much? to orient themselves north-south when while urinating or defecating. Huh, isn't that interesting? I, hmm. So, so yes, answer. you may use a dog to lead you north to visit your friend who now lives in the north. How dare they live in the north? Yes. <laughs> never. Never. Yeah. No matter what bog you're living in. Yeah, there's some shit you know, talk. Bog monsters up there. <laughs> uh, and also, we had another email that said, and we don't recommend this because it says that uh, every time, what was it? Let's see if I can find it. Sorry, I'm not exactly where I need to be. He's not prepared. I'm prepared, he but doesn't want to take a, It says take a shot every time Chris says that's hilarious, but barely begins... <laughs> Barely laughs, right. or we both stumble over our word. We don't recommend this because <laughs> yeah. within the hour or so that we're on, I say it quite alcohol a bit. poisoning. Yeah. You know, you but know. I'm going to try to throw in a, a hilarious giggle after, like the <laughs> anytime I say that's hilarious. <laughs> well, there you go, entertainment. Speaking of hilarious, this. Uh, <laughs> Oh, if, if you want to see, if you want to send us an email, yeah, send us an email. Oh, right. Intername here podcast at gmail.com. Yes. Um, we did get a couple other nice emails with uh, yeah. some suggestions some for suggestions ideas. We might and, uh, we're not going to share know. any of that yeah, right now. But definitely not. Thank you for the kind words. Uh, we also found out that Salt Lake City stinks. Oh, right. It's a stinky, stinky city. There's just white people everywhere. It's stinky. <laughs> Lots of forgetful white people um, stinking it up. And this. I'll give you a guess as if this is a white people or not. Uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, a man faces criminal charges after allegedly shooting his roommate during a dispute over a hot pocket. Oh, that one. Yeah. Clifton <laughs> Williams, 64, 64, oh, wow. Wow. was arrested on assault charges Sunday, this past Sunday, after not this, not this coming up Sunday, um, after he accused <laughs> his roommate of eating their last hot pocket and attacked him, shooting him in the buttocks. So he shot him in the ass over eating this hot pocket. So good luck to you, Clifton. And likely he forgot eating it himself. I mean, I can get. I mean, uh, hopefully it was at least the pepperoni. 
Yeah. It wasn't like the ham and cheese. I mean, I, mean, I can understand being disappointed that you didn't. You were looking forward to it, and you didn't have it. Sure. Yeah. Go to the store. Yeah. Yeah. You're 64. <laughs> You're 64. <laughs> you can go wherever you want. You've, you've faced plenty of disappointment at this point in your life, <laughs> right. I hope. I, mean, yeah, not, I don't can hope. Can you imagine? I, the, I mean, if he did it over the ham and cheese or, God forbid, like the, like any of the other ridiculous <laughs> flavors. Kind of like the... Uh, or God, it's been forever. I liked the meatballs and mozzarella. Yeah, that, the last yeah I sure. Had, that's uh, basically yeah. pepperoni. Yeah, it's essentially. I mean, yeah. and they're might meatballs or right. whatever. Or the Philly cheesesteak was okay sometimes. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, you know, they got all sorts of like, turkey and. Yeah, the turkey one's weird. Turkey, turkey and, and squash and stuff. Like, turkey and squash. Yeah. I'm not sure there was a squash. Squash is good, but yeah, maybe not frozen up in a hot pocket. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. Uh, you know, be careful out there. Just share your food if you need to. If not, go get your own. Yeah. Hot pocket. Share your food lest you be shot in the butt. <laughs> the buttock. <laughs> that was Ow, uh, Kentucky. That was in Louisville. 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 Um, yeah. Uh, and so now we're going to go on to uh, Indiana because an Indiana man is dead after a de- grenade discovered in a grandfather's belonging belongings detonated. So uh, they were going through the, choked on a hot pocket. No, no, no. <laughs> this guy, they were looking through the grandfather's belongings. I guess the grandfather had passed away and they found a handheld device and someone pulled the pin and then it blew up. Uh, the man was killed and his two children, a 14 year old boy and an 18 year old girl were wounded by shrapnel and transported to a nearby hospital. Oh my God. They said that, you know, it's kind of, not common, but more common than you think that people find stuff like that because a lot of guys, like this guy was probably from World War II and brought it back as, or Korea or whatever, um, and brought it back as a souvenir. Wow. And just kept it there. And then they, they find it, and I've never held a grenade, but I know that the thing that you don't want to do to it until you're ready to use it is pull the pin. Oh, yeah. So they pulled a... the pin and just like, hey, look at that, and the thing blew up. Yeah. So... It doesn't say the name according to this article. I pulled it up a couple of days ago. I just saw it and I was. Oh, I that's thought, horrifying. Yeah. yeah, I'm having trouble even finding words for it. I'm yeah. like, yeah, that sucks, man. Yeah. That, so, but yeah, don't pull the pin, no matter what. Definitely don't pull the pin. <laughs> I mean, that's horrible. <laughs> you imagine being those kids. Well, I mean, gosh. Um, that's pretty rough. Yeah, that's pretty rough. Horrible way. Don't play with grenades, Still kids. Still not quite as don't shocking. Don't play with grenades. Yeah, don't play with grenades. Don't pull the pin if you do choose right. to play with a grenade, but don't play with grenades. And when you use your Hot Pocket, put it in that little crisping sleeve. <laughs> yeah, otherwise it'll be a soggy mess and chewy. <laughs> Gross. <Ugh>. Um, anyways. <laughs> yeah, moving So on. going on to something that I despise, which is Billy Joel. <laughs> um, a landlord in Duluth... While blasting Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire, set his apartment building on fire. (laughs) Um, I I was drinking water, but that's pretty good. (laughs) Travis Carlson, 37, faces one felony charge of first-degree arson in connection to the May 18th incident. Now that is hilarious. (laughs) Uh, According to the criminal complaint, officers were dispatched shortly after 4 a.m., to the 24th. So he was up in the middle of the night listening, cranking. We didn't start the fire. Uh, he was on 4th Street in Duluth, and they got a report of an upstairs apartment on fire. When emergency crews arrived, they found the upstairs apartment with on fire with We Didn't Start the Fire blaring from the unit. Um, it's like a scene from a movie. 
<laughs> well, the downstairs tenant says they woke up to their landlord, identified as Carlson, smashing glass and breaking things for about 20 minutes. Uh, then he knocked on the downstairs tenant's apartment, telling the tenant that the house is on fire. Um, a neighbor also told officers that they saw Carlson under his truck with gas cans going in and out of the house. An investigation revealed a drilled hole in his gas tank with lids to carry two gas cans laying around the truck. Uh, the complaint also notes the green liquid lines from a burned accelerant stained several pieces of furniture in the apartment. And then officials say uh, Carlson was found the next day with, quote, fresh burn injuries to his arms and legs. So, first of all, he's lucky he didn't blow himself up with the car. He's trying to drill into the gas tank of his truck, takes the gas. That's really dumb. What do you think that he faces if he's convicted? What do you think his prison sentence would be for this? Oh, I'm going to put it at 20 years. Right at it, 20 years. Oh, wow. Look at that. Seems a little bit light for that type of, you know. Meaning it it does and it doesn't. I mean, if you look at the whole story. Yeah. I mean, it is 20 years. At least he did tell the other person that the house was on fire. Right. But he'd had to have been wasted or something. Yeah. Smashing things. That's what I'm thinking. That's why I'm like, eh, 20 years. Like, that's a long time. Is that song so rage inducing i mean it is for me in a certain way <laughs> right but only because i want to punch billy joel in i'm the gonna face. guess that the song didn't make him do it uh, oh it wasn't like a helter skelter type <laughs> no, of event no, okay no, good i don't think good, it good. was that yeah and i don't believe the song helter skelter made them do it they 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 was crazy and they did it well <laughs> and they're yeah. blaming the song <laughs> yeah, but if, did you listen to it backwards, Chris? I have all sorts of Black Sabbath right. albums. You wouldn't believe what I hear. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but they did that on purpose for fun. <coughs> sure. <laughs> I listen to all my albums backwards. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah. Um, speaking of albums, this isn't really, this is music. This is some Nirvana, so it's sort of a roundabout grow goal. Grow goal. <clears throat> grow goal. <laughs> the high pitch, low yeah. pitch. Uh a guitar that Kurt Cobain smashed sells at auction for $600,000. A smashed guitar. Yeah, uh, his black Fender Stratocaster covered in scratches and chipped wood. Uh, the names of Cobain and his former band Nirvana are misspelled, and the guitar itself, which was once smashed and put back together, is no longer playable. But it was bought with... Uh, at Julian's auctions for a whopping $596,000, nearly 10 times more than the opening price. Wow. So it says that items from, from Kurt Cobain or Nirvana or Nirvana are becoming more difficult to obtain, and they're one of the highest in terms of collectability <laughs> of all rock bands. Interesting. Um, this one in particular was wrecked. He did this several times during his career, but... This one in particular was wrecked while Cobain and his band worked on their landmark album, Nevermind, in the 90s. Uh, it was eventually repaired and gifted to his friend and musical collaborator. 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 I love it when you speak Have a other shot. languages. Yeah. Uh, Mark Lang- <laughs> Langan of the Screaming Trees. Oh, Lanigan. Lanigan. Okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Um, sorry, Mark. It says on there, it says, hello, Mark. Love your pal Kurt Cobain, and it's K-U-R-D-T-K-O-B-A-I-N, slash washed up rocker. And that's written on silver marker, on, in silver marker on the body of the guitar. And uh, Dave Grohl and Chris uh, Novoselic could both also sign the guitar. Huh. Wow. So, it's pretty cool looking. 
I guess it's it's definitely a wall hanger. I mean, obviously, Nirvana is spelled on the on it. It's spelled N I R V A N A A H. Oh. So it's like I mean they're just messing around with this broken guitar. Thinking maybe they put two ends in it or something. No, nope. Nirvana. Nirvana. And yeah, he spelled his own name wrong and the band's name wrong. So six hundred thousand bucks. If you got more, you can buy that from the person. I'm sure it's it's just an investment at this point. Right. I can't imagine having a six hundred thousand dollar thing on my wall. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. Yeah, boggles the mind. But I mean, you really. know. How much was that wall? If you got that kind of money, then you probably paid a lot of money for that in particular wall. That house that you're living in yeah. is probably expensive. Yeah, you live in a camper. <laughs> yeah. Some homeless guy bought it. Just yeah. to, he has it hanging on his yeah, box. Yeah, you live in a camper next to your storage unit. <laughs> it's just some guy's storage Which, I mean, unit more power to you. classic but, yeah. rock memorabilia. Just jam-packed right. full of it. Yeah, it's not even uh, like temperature-controlled or anything. Right. Climate control. There you go. Yeah, whatever. All control. All control. Um, this one will this one be a good one for you. Grow gold. That was the Sorry. grow goal. Um, if you know him, let us know. <laughs> right. Let him know. <laughs> let him if know. If you're that, him, please. Let him know that we know him. We want, I mean, we want you. We want you, Dave. We want you, Dave. Um, okay. So we're going to go to <laughs> this guy in California. He found a book. That was uh, going through his uh, boxes, boxes of his uh, late wife after she passed away. This and is not another grenade story. No, no, no. Okay. This one's a little bit different. It's also found in some people's stuff. Uh, Jim Perry lived in lives in Napa, and he was looking through this stuff, and he came across a copy of Benson Lawson Lawsing's uh, book called A History of the United States. And it's from the St. Helena Public Library. Um, he believes the book was checked out by John McCormick, Sandra Learned Perry. That's her, what, what? her name was Learned. Sandra Learned. Learned. And she was married to this guy. She was very learned. She was married to the guy that found the book. And when she died, he was digging through her stuff. Her, okay. name, her name was Sandra Learned Perry. Okay, gotcha. Or Learned, but Learned. Right. Um, her grandfather checked it out in uh, 1927, <laughs> and the, he took it back to the library and returned it after 96 years of being overdue. Yeah, here it's uh, bad luck, you know, like library police come after you. Stephen King has a story called The Library Police. Oh, really? Yeah. It's just this big, thick, looks like you'd see like in the background on a lawyer show on the shelves, one, one of those, of those books. books, yeah. 96 years Say overdue. what the book was? Yeah. Are you listening? I, I mean, I... I said it really bad. Sorry. <laughs> so right. I was a dick. I did hear you a say that. History of the United yeah. States. Oh, right. By yeah, Benson Lossing. I'm sorry. Yeah. Lossing. My bad. I, it's all yeah, right. I did hear you say that. I was a dick. I'm me. sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Chris is crying. I, I'm not this crying. Is, I'm now this is our new episode of Enter Tears Here. <laughs> I was going to say Enter Sympathy Here. Oh, yeah. Please. Yeah. Yeah. Send us an email. Yeah, send me a nice um, email. Yeah, so that's pretty much you know what I've got for some recent stuff. Yeah, I was pretty lazy this week. I didn't. I didn't come with anything. I mean, I came with a, a name, but <laughs> okay, that's good. Yeah. So I've got a story, but yeah. All right. But well, uh, I'm not even first, so yeah, I'm just gonna sit and giggle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. It's hilarious. You know, 
since since we're getting into all this, we'll talk about something else. Um, uh, we'll do we uh, down that path. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Intername Here Podcast and Facebook Intername Here. I'm going to try and get like I've got some funny stuff. I'm going to start putting up emails. Oh yeah, you were going to put up some funny stuff. Yeah, I need to start being a little bit more active. I'm sorry for all the people that actually care. I don't know if anybody does. Feeling very apologetic. Um, I hope you're enjoying the artwork that I dick around and make. Hope you like that for the episodes. Personally, I like the artwork. You do a great job. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I just did that so you'd say that. So. <laughs> Pick you back up again. Yeah. Before right. we start your story. Uh, yeah. yeah. And you can send us emails at internamehearepodcast at gmail.com. Absolutely. Finish up the, Please do. Give the, us give us some more ideas. We're like working on some of these, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe even planning stuff ahead of time. Gasp. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. We have some stuff already planned. You'll never even know till you know. Ooh. Uh, so, yeah, I guess we'll start with uh, my guy this week. Mine's a guy, just so you know. Um, this and, is a guy. Yeah, and I'm, I'm only going to tell you his first name for a while, and it'll make sense at the end. Okay? It's a boy. Right. Well, his name's Charles. Chuck. <laughs> okay, so um, Charles was born uh, 1938, July 23rd, in Lovelady, Texas. Mm. He was the youngest of six, and his parents were named Alma, Lee, and Void, V-O-Y-D-E. I'm assuming that's Void. Oh, Void. Yeah. Interesting. That sounds, uh, it's ominous already. Something bad's going to happen <laughs> well, in this story. Yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, whatever. There's some good that comes out of it, and, and technically a lot more good than bad. All right. we'll, we'll get into that. Okay. Uh, in the 50s, he briefly served in the Navy, and when he was discharged... He went to L.A. and uh, he began a job as an encyclopedia salesman and a professional gambler. Um, encyclopedia salesman, yeah, back like when, that's a real thing. Yeah, that, that's, kids, an encyclopedia is what Google used to be when it was just books, <laughs> and you had to carry around at least twenty six copies of books because it was one for A, one right. for B. I guess you yeah. There were a couple for like S's and T's, I guess, but Gosh. then like W, X, Y, Z yeah. were all in one. Have they um, banned encyclopedias yet or just certain letters? <laughs> just certain letters. <laughs> but one of them, they're not going to, they're going to expand the letter. Oh, we, it's, we, we won't talk about that. Yeah, we won't go into um, that anymore, Charles man. was a great manipulator, especially with the women, because uh, in his Ooh. lifetime, he was married four different times. Oh, wow. So not great with women, but good at manipulating well, he's good with them in certain senses, and you'll find out more about that, too, because, you know, he's the ladies' man. All right. Um, he also became when uh, what gamblers call a card mechanic when it came to handling cards. So, like, he was, you know, he was able to do a lot of that manipulation of the deck of cards, like a magician kind of thing. Right. Um, like a kind of... Like it's an optical illusion almost, so you can yeah. pull the trick off. And yeah, like, like he can kind he can of probably stack the deck for himself. Divert your things. attention with his fancy yeah. card work, card um, play. They said he was a pretty good gambler. Uh, however, he made most of his money cheating other gamblers. <laughs> and uh, later on, it was claimed that he was so good that he was banned from several Las Vegas casinos, but that's pretty doubtful. Okay, hmm. so... It's pretty doubtful. Well, I mean, you know, it was somebody that was telling this was close to him and was kind of like, I don't know if they were trying to talk him up or just like the myth of him 
was bigger than him kind of thing. I got you. Um, yeah. By 1960, he decided to up his game and decided, and he started moving into crime. And started working for it. started working with organized crime, and he was used as a hitman. Hmm. Um, in 1960, he was arrested and convicted of armed robbery, although I didn't really see anything that would say how long he served or how long he was sentenced for or whatever. He was convicted of armed robbery, but the next year he was in Texas w- having a son. Hmm. So he could have been locked up for very long. Interesting. It could have been his first offense, and they gave him like six months or something. I don't know. I couldn't find it. <coughs> um, yeah. Hmm. His son. This he had three children. This this one was born the same day as him, July twenty third. Oh wow! So that's kind of interesting, I guess. It's kind of close to your birthday. Yeah, kinda. Uh, and from that point on till like nineteen sixty eight, roughly, he was back and forth from Texas to Louis to L A. Back and forth, back and forth. Uh, and he had, by 68, he had abandoned the three and maybe four children. Four, maybe, but that comes later. So he's a really good guy. Right. Uh, later in his life, he, involved, he, he admitted to being involved in dozens of murder-for-hire plots during this time. Dozens? Dozens. Dozens. Uh, from the 1960 to 68, right? That implies 25 or more, right? Well, dozens, mm-hmm. yes, because yeah. that's more than one dozen. Yeah, I mean, it's associated dozen. with uh, <laughs> organized crime and stuff. So, yeah, killing all kinds of people. Um, and he did it on the cheap. Uh, you'll find out in a minute. Uh, Nineteen sixty-eight comes around, and Charles got a little bit more busy, I guess. Because uh, in May, a, uh, a a carpet salesman named Alan Harry Berg. Uh, was in Houston when he was lured to a bar with a phone call from a woman named Sandra Sue Attaway, and she was promising sexual favors. Sandra Sue. Sandra Sue. That's Sandra a Texas Sue Attaway. Name. That's a Texas name right there. Yeah. Um, S.S. Attaway. S.S. Attaway. Yeah. Don't name your boat that. <laughs> um, and it believed it was believed that when they went to, when he went to meet this woman that. He was kidnapped and then killed. Um, Interesting. They believe that Alan may have been killed as payback against his father or because of gambling debts that he may have had. There was a lot of that going on in all these circles, right? Sure. So Charles was accused and uh, in 1970 he went to trial for this. Uh, He got allegedly paid $1,500 for that hit. Yeah. Now, 68, $1,500 was a little bit different. It's but going a lot further than it does today. Still yeah, seems pretty cheap to off a guy, right? Well, sure. Um, <laughs> well, sure. <Yeah. laughs> Wonderful. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Charles went to trial in 1970 and was acquitted on all the charges. Hmm. So it goes on. Later on in 1968, we're going to go back again for a second. He paid that judge off, too. <laughs> Interesting. Um, <laughs> okay, in 1968, we're back in Texas again right. in Hearn, and a grain dealer, father of four, named Sam De- Degelia. Ooh, I love uh, it when you speak other languages. 
it was, uh, well, he was shot several times in the head and, uh, Charles did that for $2,500. Hmm. And he told someone else in regards to this hit, quote, this is not the first son of a bitch I had to ring the bell on and won't be the last, end quote. Wow. Um, All right, then. So Charles and this guy Pete Scamardo definitely sounds like an organized crime name. (laughs) Yeah, Um, you don't want to get Scarpete after you. No. Pete Scamardo. 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 We're both arrested and put on trial for this hit. Okay, so the first trial, they're both on trial at the same time in the first trial. The first trial ended in a deadlock jury for Charles, but Pete was found to be an accomplice because he was the one that paid Charles the $2,500. Right. And Pete got seven years of probation. Wow. Really learned his lesson. Yeah. I'm sure that there's some money going on. If there's, there's something going on behind right? the scenes here. Uh, so Charles was retried for this in 1973. A couple hmm. of years later, I guess. And, you know, it seems like justice is kind of going slow. Yeah, retried too. And so. uh, he was found guilty and sentenced to 15 years. Oh, definitely uh, a diff- different outcome. Well, yeah, except five years later, after good behavior in Leavenworth, he was released huh. after five years for that hit on that guy. Wow. Right? Five years for killing somebody. All right. Well, killing dozens. Several shots in the head. Well, they didn't really know. He, he had a memoir they wrote later that he was saying right. a lot of this stuff. But we all know now, so we can say, man, right. um, guy deserves to be there. Now, remember, Charles is a ladies' man. And when he was released from Leavenworth, after his extended five-year stay, <laughs> right. He had a limo waiting for him as a gift from a woman he had met while he was on trial for killing Alan Berg. How do you meet somebody when you're on trial? How do these guys do? Charles Manson got married while he's in prison. <laughs> Who's marrying Charles Manson? Well, I mean, there's people out there that sure. you know, they become enamored with the this idea. Yeah. Seems like a really good relationship is that you have to be through glass the whole time. Yeah. And he has to wear like a, ten, a Canadian tuxedo all the time. <laughs> right. Fools. Fools they are. Um, so he gets this this limo and heads on back to, you know, Texas. <clears throat> and soon after he gets back, he, he gets remarried to a woman named Joanne Starr. Oh, that's a name there. Yeah. Yep. There's some good names in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as soon as he got out and they got married, Joanne bought Charles a rifle. Because he couldn't, because he's a felon, right? <laughs> But he needed one because, you know. What's the perfect gift for the felon in your life? <laughs> right. Yeah, a 243 <laughs> rifle. 240, 243. I saw both. I don't know. Yeah. You know, come at me. Um, come at me, indeed. Uh, so we'll get back to them in a minute. Let's find out about this guy named Jimmy Chagra. Chagra. C H A G R A. Chagra. Maybe. C H A G R A. Uh, this guy's a professional gambler, a carpet salesman, again. like a, What is a professional gambler? Like, how do you become a professional? Well, this guy would commonly lose $100,000 on one roll of a dice. Now, see, losing a lot of gambling doesn't sound like that makes you a professional. But anything. if you're losing, then that means you're still winning at some point to be able to drop 100 Gs on something. Good maybe. point. Understood. He wasn't, I don't know how much he made as a carpet salesman, but 
he did make a lot of money as somebody else because at one point he was one of the biggest weed dealers in America and just a drug trafficker in general. Um, One of the biggest in the Western United States, actually, and operated out of Las Vegas and El Paso. Okay. And was, quote, no less than the biggest marijuana smuggler in the country, end quote. Wow. Okay, so Jimmy was associated with an operation known as The Company, which had associations with Andrew Carter Thornton II. You ever hear that name before? I have heard that name. Yeah, because that's the guy that couldn't jump up an airplane the right way, killed himself, and let let all that that bear get all that cocaine. Oh, cocaine bear. Yeah. That that scene in the movie is hilarious. Yes, well, Andrew (laughs) Andrew Carter Thornton II is that guy. uh, Nice, that's hilarious. and, and, And Jimmy was associated with the operation... Which was the company? Nice. That was. They're all intertwined. Good right? tie in this. So, that's a good one. Right. This kind of. This is kind of the reason why, but it also there's another reason why at the end you'll see. Okay. Um. Jimmy had a file with the FBI, which was over sixty five thousand pages long. God. Okay. So this guy was. <laughs> it's longer was than known. all the Stephen King books put together. <laughs> right. That's actually just one one of the two it books right (laughs) Right. well it's just one book movies had two movies because it's so big okay but But that's exactly how many pages are in it (laughs) Sixty-five (laughs) thousand. yes um february 79 jimmy was arrested on trafficking charges and was scheduled to appear before u.s district district judge john wood who they called maximum john Because this motherfucker would give the harshest sentences that he could possibly give, especially for drug-related crimes. He enjoyed the art of punishment. Maximum John. John He was a professional punisher. Yes. Uh, Jimmy, well, after he got arrested, he was really worried that he would get a life sentence for smuggling. And so he decided to bribe the judge for 5 or $10 million. (laughs) Of course he did. There were two different numbers I saw. Oh, right. Five or ten. It's right. still millions. Right. When that didn't work, and this was in you know, 1979. That's a yeah, that's big a, chunk of money. You know. Shoot, it's a big chunk of money right now. Well, this I mean, very minute. It's a, it's a studio apartment in New York. Yeah, well, I won't be living in a studio. <laughs> Not yet. We might move to a lighthouse. You never know. <laughs> I'd rather live in the lighthouse, yeah. I think. Uh, when that didn't work, bribing the judge, he decided he needed to hire someone to take care of it. And who did he call? Ghostbusters? Nope. Charles. Yeah. Charles. Uh, he contracted Charles for $250,000, which, you know, compared to what he was doing before. Yeah, the 1,500 gigs. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, later he, Charles has said all sorts of stuff about this, right? And he's flip flopped or whatever, but he did it mostly for the, for the notoriety. He did it for the money too, but right. he wanted to be, he thrived on this sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, May 29th, 1979 rolls around. This was the original date of Jimmy's trial, but nobody really knew the trial had been delayed. Okay. Um, Joanne and Charles, well, back to them, made their way to the parking lot of John's uh, neighborhood. I guess it was like apartment complex or something. Mm-hmm. And Charles hid until Maximum John came out to his car. And he shot the judge one time in the back with a hunting rifle, the gun that Joanne had bought him. Ah. Uh, 
Yes. Yeah, what's the perfect gift for the felon in your life? <laughs> right. You, you, what What is a hitman? What do you get a hitman that seems to have everything? A better <laughs> right. rifle with a scope. <laughs> Shot him in the back. The guy, he, he talked about watching him fall dead. Mm. Excuse me. Bless you. Um, Charles and Joanne then went on the run after that. Like right? on, on foot? No, yes. I'm just kidding. Yeah, well, <laughs> somewhat. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Uh, this assassination was the first time in over a century, and I did see the first time in U.S. history, both of those, and I, I couldn't find out which one was actually. Right. Um, this was the first time in over a century the sitting federal judge had been assassinated. Oh. So this didn't happen. It doesn't happen. It's uncommon. We don't do this. Right. Um, so after the... <laughs> you telling people don't right, do don't this. Right, don't do this. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of don'ts for this show. Yeah. Okay. Um, Charles and Joanne went on the run after the assassination. And, uh, during this time that he was on the run, Charles was with Joanne having an affair with Joanne's daughter, his best friend's wife, and an El Paso heiress named Virginia Farah. Wow. Busy guy. Apparently he was the man. (laughs) I mean. They said he was the ladies man. Gosh. So that happened, what, May? May 29th. Right. And... 1979. Yeah. I've been on this earth a month and a half. Uh, 1980, September rolls around, and the FBI finally, FBI finally catches up with Charles and Joanne. When he did, Charles, when they did, Charles was driving Ferris Corvette and mainlining cocaine when they confronted him, and he was finally arrested after a six-hour standoff. Oh, wow. He was, like, I mean, all sorts of threats to himself and others, and... He's crazy madman. He's he's geeked out on yeah. cocaine. With a lot of ego. Right. Yes. And not much testosterone because he's been hooking up with at least four or five different women. <laughs> not much All left. spent. Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. You, um, you go, Chuck. After, he, after Charles was arrested, he said that he didn't actually do the murder, but said he did, but said he did to make sure that he got the payment from Jimmy. So he's like, Oh, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I just said it to get paid. Right. Right. <laughs> well, that didn't really work out for him because this investigation was the biggest FBI investigation since the JFK assassination. Oh, wow. This was a big deal. Huh? Um, 30,000 interviews all with, with this murder of the judge mm-hmm. hours and hours, and hours of tapes. Um, tapes are what they used to record things on. <laughs> Um, they would tap phone lines in jail cells and stuff. Right. 500 pages of documents and more than 500,000 pieces of information. The, wow. the, the investigation cost at least $11 million. Ooh, it's a lot of tapes. Yes. Well, they were the, the huge. <laughs> right. The size of a room. He had to pay for them by a pound. And they, <laughs> by the you know. pound. Um, Charles was eventually caught and convicted and, sorry, whatever. Charles was convicted of being the gunman after Chagra discussed the assassination with his brother, Joe, during Joe's visit to him uh, in Leavenworth. Well, Joe's a lawyer. Joe's Jimmy's lawyer. Hmm. Jimmy's a crook. Right. The con, and his brother's the lawyer for the mob, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was having discussions with Joe in Leavenworth, and FBI agents had bugged the rooms that they were talking in. Duh. 
Yeah, like, why do you got to talk about shit, you know? Can't you just say hi? And this was among over a thousand recorded conversations that the government had collected as evidence. Ugh. thousand different conversations. Um, The position of the federal authorities was that even though Joe Chagra was a lawyer, he was also suspected in conspiracy to conceal the crime. Therefore, their conversations were not covered by attorney-client privilege. So because he was involved with this conspiracy... That gets rid of the whole thing. We're right. seeing this in other things too, more recently. Yeah. Um, Jimmy, Charles, and Joe were all implicated, and Joe turned the state's evidence on them and testified against them, getting a plea bargain that got him ten years. Huh. Uh, Joe served six of the ten and was released. Um, he was later uh, killed in a car wreck, I think, after he'd been out for maybe five years. Oh wow. Um, Joanne got 25 years in this for Ooh. providing the gun and being on the run with him and everything. She I mean, was there when it happened. He did buy a gun for a felon. Yeah. I mean, and it was used in that, right? Jimmy's wife, her name was Elizabeth. She was sentenced to, sentenced to 30 years. Oh man. And Jimmy was in prison until he was released in 2003 for health reasons, which is kind of interesting because after that, he married his third wife, and he used the name James Madrid. Which, <laughs> Jimmy Madrid. Which is funny, because it reminded me of uh, Michael Vick went by Ron Mexico. Oh, right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, Jimmy was released from prison in 2003 and then died in 2008, but he was released for health reasons. Like, <laughs> seems like a pretty good gig. I'm sick. I got five years left. Don't let me be in prison. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? um yeah i mean that i was gonna say huh health reasons yeah it's interesting plenty of people die in prison james madrid is what he went by jimmy madrid uh it was they they said that he was in uh witness protection but his his family denied it you know so like it's hard to tell but you didn't really hear much about it must be some sort of way of figuring out your undercover name kind of like your porn name so right what was it uh ron mexico was michael vick yeah jimmy madrid yeah was chuck like this is crazy. Yeah. Um, in 1981, while this uh, trial was going on, the radio was broadcasting all about this trial of Charles V. Harrelson. And someone that we'd heard of before, a young man named Tracy Harrelson, who also is known now as Woody Harrelson. I was going to say Woody? Asked his mother if that was his father. And she said, yes, it was. Oh, wow. That's why I didn't tell you his last name. Huh. In uh, December 14th, 1982, Charles was sentenced to two life terms. Wow. Woody Harrelson's father? Yes. Huh. Uh, Woody said that he regularly visited Charles in prison and said, quote, my father is one of the most articulate, well-read, charming people I've ever known. Still, I'm just now gauging whether he merits my loyalty or friendship. I look at him as someone who could be a friend more than someone who was a father, end quote. Sure. I mean, gosh. Well, Woody's uh, Charles recanted his testimony years later, and uh, saying that someone other Jimmy recanted his. I'm sorry, Jimmy recanted his testimony, saying that Charles had killed the judge, and he said that somebody else had done it. And because of this, Woody Harrelson has easily spent two million dollars to try to get his father's conviction overturned. Oh wow! This was never successful. Um, so, huh, who knew? 
Well, yeah, interesting, right? So there's a little bit more to this. Uh, Charles was in the cocaine standoff, right? Where he yeah. was, he claimed that he had killed the judge and JFK. And JFK. Yes. Um, in a huh. television interview after his arrest in Dallas, Harrelson said, quote, at the same time I said I, I had killed the judge, I said I had killed Kennedy, which might give you an idea to the state of my mind at the time, end quote. He said that the statements made during the standoff were a effort to elongate my life. Yeah, okay. Um, the book on the book called the man on the grassy knoll by John R. Craig and Philip A. Rogers claim that Charles and another guy named Charles Rogers, uh, were the two gunmen behind the picket fence on the grassy knoll. Uh. Um, other people have claimed that Har- Harrelson Rogers and a third guy named Chauncey hold were the three tramps arrested. Chauncey. They were the three tramps arrested immediately after the assassination. I'd never really heard of the three tramps, but yeah, I haven't heard of the three um, tramps. In 1992, Dallas police revealed that the three tramps were named Gus Abrams, Harold Doyle, and John F. Gedney. Hmm. Um, Gedney. It's also claimed that Charles was connected to Jack Ruby through a third party that had ties to organized crime. All right, Jack Ruby being the uh, what the sheriff. No, Jack Ruby is the one that killed uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, was he not also a police officer? Yeah, he might have been a detective or something. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, I might, I might be wrong, but yeah. And he was the one that shot him in the stomach while yeah. they were transporting him. Yeah. Um, in 1982, Charles... Yeah, Charles told the Dallas TV station, quote, Do you believe that Lee Harvey Oswald killed President Kennedy alone without any aid from a rogue agency of the United States government or at least a portion of that agency? I believe you are very naive if you do, end quote. Yeah. Um, so there's not really, they've done, people have looked at the pictures from that time from the assassination area of JFK. Mm-hmm. Some people say they can see Charles. Other people are like, no, that's not him. Yeah. We'll never really know. Right. Yeah, um, not really. So July 4th, 1995 rolls around, you know, happy Independence Day. Yeah. Go for it. Um, Charles, Gary Settle, and Michael Rivers attempted to escape from Atlanta Federal Penitentiary using a prison rope, which was just a bunch of sheets tied together. Oh, prison rope. Uh, Yeah. Um, A guard fired a warning shot, and all three of them immediately surrendered. So I don't don't really know if they really had any plans to really escape or not. All right. Um, After this, Charles was moved to Supermax Prison in Colorado. And he said about that place... Quote, there are not enough hours in a day for my meet for my needs as a matter of fact. The silence is wonderful, end quote. Wow. Uh March fifteenth, two thousand seven, they found Charles dead in his cell of a heart attack. Hmm. Um there's a ten episode podcast called Son of a Hitman and talks about the murders, these murders and other things, and also the JFK connection. Oh, did you listen to any of that or I've listened to a couple of them. It's yeah. it's through Spotify, so you know. Hmm. Shout out, that out. shout out to Spotify. <laughs> um, so, remember I told you he had three kids, maybe four? Well, yeah. The fourth one is, uh, let's see. Matthew McConaughey recently said that his mother had mentioned years ago that she, quote, knew, end quote, Woody's father. Hmm. He said, in Greece a few years ago, we're sitting around talking 
about how close we are in our families. And my mom is there. And she says, Woody, I knew your dad. McConaughey said with, with an emphasis on the word new. Oh, everyone was aware of the ellipses that my mom left after new. It was a lovely new K N E W. Well, we went back to unpack and what this, what new, what this new meant. And we did some math and found out that his dad was on furlough at the same time that my mom and dad were in their second divorce. Oh, wow. Matthew McConaughey's parents were married three different times to each other each time. Oh, wow. Okay. I've said wow a lot, but yeah, then there's possible receipts in the place that's out in the West Texas where there might've been an, a inaudible or meeting or a new moment. Um, between one of two of the marriages, there's a period where they weren't together for about nine months right before Matthew was born. And, uh, they, they're considering doing DNA testing to see if they're half brothers. So, so they might be, they might, they they, they would have the same father, different mothers. Do you see them together in true detective? That's a good, good show. Yeah. Check that out. yeah, if you look at them, they both have kind of similar features, yeah, I, I guess. Can see it, yeah. but yeah. So that's uh, Charles Void Harrelson, huh. father of uh, Woody Harrelson, and a uh, hitman that may have killed JFK too. Yeah, wow, that's so, crazy. Yeah, I had not heard of this well, at all interesting. ever before. Yeah. So yeah, they're gonna. They're, <clears> they're, they're, I'm sure they'll do it eventually. They're gonna get DNA testing. Yeah, I'll have to follow that. Yeah, Yeah, that's really interesting. I had no idea. And what are the chances, if it's true, that uh, Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey would be half-brothers? It's just strange. This guy was hooking up with four or five different women at once. I mean, (laughs) he didn't have another 40 or 50. And maybe even killing presidents. How many people aren't related to them might be a better... (laughs) That's what it sounds like. It's like Genghis Khan up in here. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Pulling references from... Days past, All back right. in my early years, when he was a big Genghis fan. Yeah, back when yeah, that's, a, that's his favorite fan. John Wayne movie, <laughs> Genghis Khan. Yeah. Is that a John Wayne yeah. movie? Yeah, oh yeah, really? Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, really? He's they try to like they put a little little uh, pencil mustache on him. He's like, I'm Genghis Khan. <laughs> it's terrible. It's considered one of the worst movies ever made. Oh, that's great. It makes that movie, The Room, <laughs> yeah, it look, makes it seem... look like The Godfather. Oh. <laughs> it's yeah, bad. I've never heard of that one. <clears throat> wow. Let me get a drink of my water and we'll, mo- we'll move on to my story. All right. I'm Genghis Khan. <laughs> <laughs> a terrible actor. Yeah. And then trying to play... Because back then, you know, it was just paint paint the white guy a little bit tan and it'll be... Yeah, I mean, it was more about his posturing and his uh, just who he was than it was much else. You know, just (laughs) how he played himself. But uh, anyway, yeah, moving on. Um, My story slash name isn't so much a single name, so it's more of a, a thing that happened, often referred to as Flight 19. Okay. Um, And I was trying to think of kind of good fun stories i could do for memorial day <laughs> just to kind of tie in an upcoming holiday and uh, and tell a story about it but still go down one of my rabbit holes over the uh the mysterious disappearance of flight 19 okay and, uh december 5th 1945 so a uh, flight 19 actually wasn't just one plane it was uh five planes these uh naval soldiers on a training run 
and they were going to go fly out from Fort Lauderdale out into the Atlantic um, over Grand Bahama Island. And they had these uh, routes they were supposed to take to practice dead reckoning and also dropping some torpedoes. So they're flying these torpedo bombers. Okay. And they're using dead reckoning. uh, The video game? (laughs) Right. No. Dead reckoning skills as as part of, uh, you know, getting from one place to another. And dead reckoning is basically measuring where you're going by your speed and uh, using the compass, basically. Like, so... They tell you to go this far, you know, at this speed, and then you're going to turn left oh, to go this you. far at this right. speed, and you're practicing measuring right. this as you're doing oh, it. Oh, like, but, I reckon I'm going to do something here. Right. Like, there were lots of, when I looked it up, there are different, not theories so much as uh, different people have different explanations for why it's called dead reckoning. But, yes, essentially, you're on the right track there. They're all, right. all around that. That's what I reckon. Yeah, that's what I reckon. Like, I reckon I'm going this way because this is telling me I am. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was GPS beforehand. Right. And so these five planes are out on their training mission, and um, at a certain point, once they get over Grand Bahama Island, which will be right at their first turn, they're supposed to make a triangle. So go over Grand Bahama Island, go up to the certain point in the Atlantic, and then triangle back home back okay. in Fort Lauderdale but All right. sometime right after their first turn like they get some crazy stuff going on on the radio and I'm going to read some from an article here in a little bit and the flight ends up going missing alright uh, yeah and so but it goes missing is this missing. in the Bermuda Triangle area? it is in the Bermuda okay. Triangle area it's actually the first like real I guess recorded story oh, about the Bermuda Triangle spoiler alert sorry right. yeah no it's alright I jumped the I was gun getting on there. there I was gonna get there soon all anyway right. so and actually I probably should have already well I ain't no dummy so. <laughs> I ain't no dummy but yes that's a Bermuda Triangle what it goes from uh, basically say Miami to Bermuda up to uh, ah goodness mm. I forget the northern intergeography here it. yeah the Bahamas. No, it goes up to Bermuda's the top corner, Bahamas are bottom corner, like Puerto Rico, Bahamas, and then Miami is this corner over here. Okay. That's the Bermuda Triangle. All right. Which was a lot more north than I ever thought it <laughs> about it, which makes All plenty right. of sense where it is, but I'm like, I just always imagined it being a little further south in the Atlantic, but it's not. I'm just wrong about my geography. But right. moving on. We're no geographists. We're no geographists at all. Um, flight 19, as they're, <clears throat> this radio chatter that, uh, they're getting back home is, uh, the captain whose name was, um, Navy Lieutenant Charles Carroll Taylor. He started talking about how he thought they were going the wrong way because he felt like they were over the keys. He said, I see the Florida keys. We're going the wrong way. And so his idea was that we've got to turn back east to get back to Fort Lauderdale. Somehow we've gotten turned around. And so they end up doing all this flying back and forth, getting lost. The last actual radio contact with them was well northeast, so in the Atlantic Ocean of uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So way far north of where they... Yeah, and so at that point... And it probably wasn't nearly as developed down there as it is now either. So it wasn't like you could look over and see lit up skylines and... Right, and you're flying in an area that's known for whatever reason, killing radios and is it, stuff is like that. Is it nighttime that. when this is happening? Um, it started in the day, but by the time, you know, okay. the, it, it becomes night. Right. Like, I think sunset was uh, 
close to six o'clock that night or okay. something like that. So it's that time of year. Remember, sunsets in the west, so if you're ever lost. Right. Well, and that was one of the things, too, like, uh, you know, back home they kept saying, well, there was always a rule if you felt like you got lost out there, you'd put the sun at a certain side of you and you'd fly the other way like right. keep the sun right here and you're gonna hit gonna head back yeah, home eventually yeah, yeah but he never did that like mm. he kind of refused all the sorts of help that they were trying to give him telling him you know mm. get on this emergency radio frequency and i guess he felt like he was so sure of himself about where he thought he was that he just kept instructing. So he didn't stop for directions. Right, yeah. He didn't stop for directions, essentially. Charles Taylor, yeah. Wow, lots of Charleses today. Yeah, that's funny that we did. That's what the episode title's got to be, is Charles. (laughs) Might be. (laughs) Or Chuck. Charles and Charles. (laughs) And so um, to get a more cohesive version of the story, I'm going to read a little bit from the Historic Mysteries dot com website article because it was one of the better ones i found there's a lot of information out there on flight 19 um in fact it like apparently and i'm not all that familiar with the uh, movie um oh soul, soul plane no the uh third kind what, what's the close encounters the, close encounters yeah i've seen it but it's <laughs> so unfamiliar i don't know yeah, the name. exactly i can't even get the name in my head but apparently uh there's a cameo from the Flight 19 planes, like they find them in the desert somewhere, you know. Because oh, okay. some of the yeah, theories yeah, yeah. are okay. like they disappeared. They didn't run out of gas and crash at sea or, you know. Right. Like they just somehow some sort of vortex sucked the them up or, you know, oh, whatever yeah. happens All in right, the I got Bermuda you. Triangle. Right. But um, anyway, so Flight 19 mission. World War II was the first war that involved extensive air combat. Thousands of new planes had to be built, and thousands of pilots needed the training to fly them. By the way, this uh, story happened just after the end of World War II. Flying heavier than air aircraft is an inherently dangerous activity. Future generations of combat pilots would learn from the first generation's sacrifices. So, you know, Memorial Day coming up. (laughs) <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. These guys were on a training mission, so no matter what happened to them, they lost. They ended up losing uh, 14 guys on Flight 19, and then the ship that went out looking for them, we're going to get to that, that ship ends up going missing. And so that ends up being like 14 more guys. Oh, wow. None of them ever found again. Hmm. Fatal accidents were common. Pilots were nearly as likely to die in training as they were in combat. In Britain, over 8,000 pilots died in training. In America, it was over 13,000. Wow. Right. Any combination of mechanical failure, bad weather, and human error could doom any pilot, no matter how experienced. Yeah, I mean, the planes weren't near what they are today. Right. When the mission started on the afternoon of December 5th, 1945, about seven months after the war ended, it was supposed to be a routine training exercise, but in reality, there was no such thing. The plan was to take off from Naval Air Station Fort Lauderdale and fly in a triangular pattern. It was supposed to be a practice navigation exercise and bombing run, so like I'd already explained. They would start by flying east, drop their bombs at the Hen and Chicken Shoals, which is just off of Grand Bahama Island and continue for a total of 140 nautical miles. At that point, they would turn left and fly 73 nautical miles to an area near the Bahamas. Finally, they would turn left and fly another 140 nautical miles back to Fort Lauderdale. All bombers had crews of three Navy or Marine pilots, except for one which had two crew members. So this uh, that third crew member had like called out, basically, said he wasn't going on that training huh. mission that day. So he ended Lucky up not him. going, right? Nearly every member of the mission had logged over 200 hours of flying experience. All of them understood the risks. 
So the flight had taken off around 2.10, proceeded to the shoals where they dropped their practice bombs without incident, but then somewhere over the Atlantic they ran into bad weather. Meteorologists tracked a massive storm traveling from Georgia south to Miami that day, generating hurricane-force winds at 8,000 feet. Flight instructor Lieutenant Robert F. Cox was on another flight in the area in the area and overheard many of Flight 19's final radio transmissions. At some point, the storm disoriented the aircraft and they became lost. At 3.40, Lieutenant Taylor radioed in a distress call, reporting a malfunctioning compass and they lost their way. I am sure I'm in the Keys, but I don't know how far down and I don't know how to get to Fort Lauderdale. Taylor was mistaken about being in the Florida Keys. Instead, they were over 200 miles north. Some have speculated that Taylor, who recently transferred to Florida, may have been unfamiliar with the geography. That that doesn't jive with me. I'm like, eh. I mean, maybe, but... I mean, that gave you a pretty good uh, directions. Yeah, and this guy is like, he's a... He flies these training missions all the time. Not necessarily in this location, but, you know, he knows what he's doing. Right. Which is probably why he was so, so sure of himself. It's kind of like, you know, the people that say, I'm a better driver when I'm drunk. It's like, well, I'm sure you feel like you are, but, <laughs> right. you know. <laughs> don't do that either. <laughs> right. Another Yeah, don't. not advocating it. <clears throat> so anyway, in this time when American pilots flying over the Atlantic became lost, the protocol was to turn their plane west towards the setting sun and fly until they eventually reached land. The problem was Taylor had become so disoriented that he believed he was in the mouth of the Gulf of Mexico. Flying west, Taylor thought, would have put them further over the Gulf. Instead of turning left and flying west back to Fort Lauderdale, Taylor ordered his men to continue flying east, putting them further out over the open ocean. Their last known location was 75 miles off the coast of Cocoa, Florida. Um, 6 p.m., Ugh, excuse me. 6 p.m., Lieutenant Cox overheard the men arguing with each other about which direction to go. Around 6, Taylor's men persuaded him to finally turn around and head west. Shortly later, he reversed course and resumed heading east. Investigators later speculated that one of the planes in Flight 19 might have broken off and flown in another another direction, but most followed their commander's orders. As the sun began to set, Taylor ordered his men to begin preparing for a water landing. All planes (coughs) close up tight, Taylor said. We'll have to ditch unless landfall. When the first plane drops below 10 gallons, we all go down together. After several minutes of silence, Taylor frantically radioed in, we can't tell where where we are. Everything is... Dot, dot, dot. Can't make out anything. We think we may be about 225 miles northeast of base. It looks like we're entering white water. We're completely lost. This was their final radio transmission. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Cox wanted to search for the planes, but he received orders to return to base. Shortly after Taylor's final transmission, around 7.30 p.m., Fort Lauderdale scrambled two PBM Mariner flying boat rescue planes to search for the missing bombers. The PBM Mariner had a reputation of being notoriously accident-prone. The airman nicknamed it the Flying Gas Tank for its tendency to explode. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah, Sign like you were saying, up. yeah, things were a little different back then. Almost immediately, one of the PBM Mariner vanished, along with its 13 crew members. The yeah. next day, the U.S. Navy, Coast Guard, and Naval Aviation personnel sent over 300 planes and boats on a search and rescue mission. They scoured an area of around 250,000 square miles, but found no sign of the missing airmen, not even an oil slick. Including the PBM Mariner crew, 27 men lost their lives. God, they just seemed like they just kept on like feeding more and more people, like 13 more people yeah, died, send more out there. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like, you know what? Let's hold We back. haven't hit 100 yet. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. So um, initially, investigators attributed the accident to mechanical failure caused by the malfunctioning compass. <clears throat> well, apparently there was, I'm sorry, I might have skipped something there. Huh. Skip no, right here. Anyway, the compass was broken on the plane. I don't think I skipped over that, but I think the article might have. Even though Taylor wasn't found at fault, his mother later successfully petitioned the cause to be changed to unknown since the Navy hadn't recovered any records or bodies. So they were, As opposed to what? As opposed to um, the uh, like mechanical failure uh, oh. or like yeah compass failure or something like that. Okay. They felt like him as captain, he went out flying even though he knew that there were things wrong with some of the planes, et cetera, et cetera. Like this story didn't cover Oh, that. they're so trying to like take away there. the... Yeah, they don't want him to be blamed for the, right. for the well, tragedy. I don't, which, I don't necessarily blame him, but I don't, we right. don't know what happened. So. Exactly. You don't know what happened. Yeah, I mean, there are alternate theories. The disappearance of Flight 19 was considered a somewhat mysterious tragedy until 1964. Author Vincent Gaddis published an article about the doomed flight in the sci-fi magazine Argosy. In the article, Gaddis argued that the plane disappeared in a region with an unusually high number of air and water accidents. Gaddis coined the term Bermuda Triangle. Even though that region of the ocean is no more dangerous than any, anywhere else globally, the theory inspired generations of conspiracy theorists and generations of skeptics. Um, although there are reports, and this is just me speaking, of uh, Christopher Columbus writing about strange things happening, like in his journals, uh, strange things happening when sailing through those waters. Yeah, he just saw they, brown people. <laughs> <laughs> well, he saw like UFO type things oh. and stuff like that. Things, lights, weird lights in the sky. I mean, it would definitely like, be you know. much crazier then than it would be now. Oh, sure. Because I mean, yeah. you've never seen anything. Right. Like, it's not like if you look in the sky, you've never seen an airplane or yeah. some sort of lights blinking at night or something. Well, there are reports of like weird electromagnetic activity in the area, which could be a natural phenomenon that we just don't understand completely. Probably. You know? So, I mean, it's... Like, it's where uh, all the uh, dogs in South America face when they poop. <laughs> right. So, I mean, weird things do happen there, but perhaps for reasons we don't understand, though, natural reasons nonetheless. So, not like right. s weird paranormal reasons, it's which just I a guess... Big a uh, giant squid that grabs them out of the air. <laughs> right. <clears throat> yeah, some people have blamed uh, rogue waves for weird things happening in the Bermuda Triangle, but yeah. I'm like, eh, I mean, well, I yeah, could see on some wave, cases. Like a wave yeah. could sink a boat. It happens yeah, regularly. Exactly. But even with but, planes, they're saying, I'm like, maybe if you're flying really low. But yeah, I mean, I mean, some of those waves are pretty big, but maybe, still. Yeah, I get if you're one of those that's skimming the water, right. but if you're like on like a run mm -hmm. yeah you're not you're not a bombing run right. from like 40 feet these up guys were up in feet the air up. yeah <clears throat> so anyway over the years people have speculated the disappearance was caused by anything from interference from the earth's magnetic fields to parallel dimensions to alien abductions the 1977 film close encounters of the third kind even depicted a flying saucer abducting the planes and crew and teleporting them to the mexican desert Aficionados have also continued to search for the aircraft. In 1990, John Myrie believed he discovered one of the planes on the ocean floor, 390 feet below the surface. A year later, Graham Hawks claimed to have found all five aircraft. Both were mistaken. While they did find World War II-era bombers, they were unrelated to the disappearance of Flight 19. And considering how dangerous aviation was during this period, 1940s plane wreckage off Florida's coast isn't surprising. The following tale of So, yeah. Huh. That's uh, that's that. But I also, 
There was another little you story. Mean, planes were crashing all the time then. Right. Yeah, which is kind of right what they were saying right there at the end of that one. Sorry, I have another little story here, but apparently it didn't take much to get like a, a hole in the side of those, or right. You know, I mean, a, a, a bird getting caught into an engine on a jet nowadays will destroy the engine. Oh, sure. Imagine what it would do mm-hmm. to a plane that wasn't even made with like any sort of right. carbon fibers or titaniums and you know modern aluminum yeah. steels and stuff I although mean, i guess in this case it'd have to happen to all five of those planes but <laughs> yeah because <laughs> they all went missing but i would say the uh poor weather might have had something to do with it too well, they definitely didn't did not hit a mountain right they didn't hit a mountain that's for sure but i do have another little short um military disappearance in the bermuda triangle story okay and this one is uh world war one era Actually, although it wasn't being called Bermuda Triangle at that point, but or you, World War One, or, or right, that's true. USS Cyclops disappearance in the Bermuda Triangle is this article I'm uh, looking at from again historicmysteries.com. It's a pretty good website, actually. Got right. down some rabbit holes there because they have a lot of pseudoscience and real science kind of stuff, and try to try to give you the the goods, but. USS Cyclops was a United States Proteus-class collier ship commissioned during World War I. She was launched on May 7, 1910 and commissioned on May 1, 1917. The Cyclops, with its 306 officers, men, and passengers, mysteriously disappeared in March 1918 near St. Kitts Island. Lieutenant Commander George W. Worley commanded the ship. Her first journey during her wartime service was a trip to Saint-Nazaire, France, which I'm sure that's not Nazaire. In June of 1917, she returned to the east coast of the United States the following month and operated there until January of 1918, save for a short trip to Nova Scotia. The USS Cyclops was assigned to the Naval Overseas Transportation Service on January 9, 1917. She received orders to travel to Brazil and aid in the refueling of British ships. The ship left Brazil on February 16, 1918, and on March 3rd and 4th, she was known to be in the vicinity of Barbados. That was the last sighting of the Cyclops. There was no distress call, no debris, no wreckage, or any evidence of the ship's demise was ever found. The USS Cyclops disappeared in an area commonly referred to as the Bermuda Triangle. So, huh. USS Cyclops sounds cool. Yeah, I'd never heard of that one. I was like, huh. But it kind of popped up when I was looking up the Flight 19 stuff. sounds like a cool name for a boat. Right. (laughs) And there was one more little fun Bermuda Triangle Well, fun unless you're on one of these boats or airplanes, right? Well, right, unless you're the the guy. Of course, who knows where they went? Maybe it's fun where they went. Right. I guess it could be. (laughs) But this one is... I mean, um, they're more than likely at the bottom of the ocean. More than likely, I would agree with you. Whatever happened to them. I mean, it was definitely mysterious, and nobody knows what it is, but... Right. I mean, have you ever been, like, beyond where you can see the bottom of the ocean? That's just (laughs) ten feet. Right, that's where we're not meant to be. Imagine (laughs) where it's, like, a thousand feet or five hundred feet or, you know, deeper or longer. (laughs) Right. Longer underwater. (laughs) But this one is called The Bermuda Triangle Into the Fog. It's from Llewellyn.com website, which is New Worlds of Body, Mind, and Spirit since 1901. So it's kind of a new wavy sort of a... Do we even say new wave anymore? Is new it, agey, is it, not new wave. Is it new, new wave agey. when you start in 1901? <laughs> no, I meant new agey. But yeah, right? 
Oh, new age, sorry. Yeah, I said yeah. new wave. So, Bruce Gernon's fantastic voyage in the Bermuda Triangle lasted only half an hour, but it was an experience that changed his life and eventually led to the discovery of a new theory about why planes and ships sometimes disappear on calm, sunny days in this notorious region of the Caribbean. When I met Bruce early in 2001, he knew he had a great story to tell, one that needed to be told, one that could save lives, but he still hadn't reached any firm conclusions about his experience. Let's see, other... Let's see. A year passed before he came to realize something totally unexpected, something that, if eventually proven by science, will change the way we look at weather and time. Other pilots have experienced a strange fog in the Bermuda Triangle and lived to tell about it, but Bruce Gernon is the only pilot known to have entered the heart of the mother storm, the purported source of the fog, and come out alive on the other side. So his big thing is uh, this electric fog that has been reported in areas of the Bermuda Triangle where wow. if you fly into it, it starts to kill all of your radios and your electro right. electronics and stuff and well, kind of leaves yeah. you lost at sea, basically. So um, the enormous storm he describes in the fog evolved within minutes from a lenticular cloud that hovered a mere 500 feet above the ocean. Bruce spotted the cloud on an otherwise clear morning a few minutes after taking off from an airstrip on Andros Island in the Bahamas. The appearance of that cloud was an an anomaly in itself. Lenticular clouds, which look like enormous UFOs with soft, silky edges, are usually seen at 5,000 feet or higher. Bruce, accompanied by his father and a friend, flew over the cloud, but he'd no sooner passed it by when the cloud extruded two arms that quickly reached out 20 miles, forming a closed circle like the eye of a hurricane. When he considered flying above the cloud, he discovered it was rising up as well as extending out from the original lenticular cloud. He estimated that it reached 40,000 feet. When he tried to fly beneath the cloud, he found that it dipped down to the ocean's surface. In fact, it seemed that the cloud was rising directly from the ocean. Eventually, he found a 10-mile-long tunnel in the cloud with blue sky visible on the other side. He decided to take a chance and flew into it, expecting to exit in three minutes. Instead, he passed through the tunnel in 20 seconds, and during that time experienced several seconds of weightlessness. When he escaped the cloud, the blue sky was gone, replaced with a gray fog that seemed to spread out for miles and miles. None of his electronic equipment worked. Even the compass rotated slowly around and around. Finally, the radio worked, and he contacted the Miami Flight Center. At that point in the flight, he should have been near Bimini, 80 miles from Miami, but the flight center couldn't locate the Bonanza on radar. It was as if the plane had vanished. Then the air traffic controller said that he'd spotted a plane coming over Miami Beach. No, that can't be us. Bruce had no sooner spoken when the fog cleared away and he glimpsed Miami Beach and the Florida mainland below. It was impossible. The plane couldn't fly that fast. It was as if they'd moved ahead half an hour, but Bruce landed at the Palm Beach International Airport. After he landed there, rather, he discovered something else. He had too much gas left over. It was as if he'd leapfrogged ahead in time and space. Bruce never forgot about the flight. Every day, it seemed, he thought about some aspect of it. So one day he read an article in the Palm Beach Post about an author who lived only a couple of miles from his home in the Aero Club in Wellington, Florida, near West Palm Beach. And blah, blah, blah. It's just talking about him writing his book now. So it's kind of a sales pitch for his book. But this guy has this story. And his father, who was in the plane, and his friend, they all, like, confirmed the story. Like, yeah, there was this weird... What'd they have for lunch before they (laughs) Right. I mean, I guess in... Right. Yeah, it's So they're saying that the cloud is, like, trying to stop him. 
Well, no, the cloud, I think, was uh, what he was saying. It did sound like that by the way they wrote that. But I think what it really was saying was the cloud was so tall that it stretched from the ocean all the way too high for him to be able to fly over it. Oh, well, it made it seem like it was like bringing yeah. arms out and grabbing yeah the way that oh, the, and then I grabbed it right. you know like like the cartoon yeah it smell would come and right. like stick its finger under your but nose. it kind of formed like a like a lentricular i All guess right. cloud is supposed to form but it was way i taller. thought maybe i thought yeah. maybe what was his that's name what again? it sounds like what was his name again? oh shoot his name wasn't charles too wasn't no bruce <clears throat> gurney bruce yeah. He's like, oh no, like Bruce, <laughs> right. Bruce from uh, Family Guy, <laughs> right? Oh no. So yeah, that last one wasn't a military story, huh. but you know, it was still a. I right. didn't really want to get into the Bermuda Triangle, but um, but what I the, kept finding these didn't. interesting stories. I did, did stay you? here, right? What did you? But um, so yeah, that's that. Wow. Yeah. Lots of Charles's featured today. Lots of Charles's Lots of today. Don'ts. Lots of don'ts. So yeah, don't uh, don't go flying in the Bermuda Triangle. I mean, if right. you do nowadays, you're probably safer. But right, yeah. Maybe don't go in like these little single engine planes and stuff I out into the. I swear that's the that's like the most of it, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. There's not that it doesn't happen on all types, but right. How often do you hear about a big plane? And there's lots of those in the air all the right. time. Like, I mean, you, you look it up. Amazed. There's a lot more that go missing than you hear about, but. Yeah, but usually if there's but yeah, a, big ones usually not. Yeah, seven forty sevens and yeah. stuff like that. If you if it goes missing, you're going to hear about it for. But perhaps a long time. it's too big for the wormholes, eh? Maybe, never know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely something weird happens in the Bermuda Triangle. But you know, it's and this guy is at least trying to put a real science answer to it and say you know perhaps some <clears throat> well, things. Well, if are something does happen, then, then I think that the best. Uh, Best remedy is to just keep sending people. No matter what happens, just keep sending more and more people. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was the method back in 1945. Yeah, well, screw you. Sorry. Yeah, our boys are the toughest. <clears throat> yeah. The greatest generation. <laughs> Indeed. So, yeah, uh, fun times in the Bermuda great. Triangle with Charles. Awesome. And, uh, you know, some hits with my Charles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, that's, I guess, our... That's it. Names for the week. That's another episode in the books, folks. I episode guess so. 16. I guess so. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll tell you what we normally tell you to go on organdonor.gov. Yep. Get rid of your eyeballs. <clears throat> get rid of all of it. Yep. You don't need it. You're going to be the USS Cyclops. Just get rid of one of your yeah. eyeballs. I mean, they can probably, if they got to keep you moist, put you in the <clears throat> bathtub, give you a TV, give you some books. Yeah, because some countries they just put you in a bathtub anyway and cut it out. All the books it. you don't have eyes anymore, so I guess ninety-six-year-old books. <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, we digress. So, um, yeah, follow us on Instagram, Intername Here Podcast, Facebook, Intername Here. Uh, you know, we've said it before. Yeah, well you know, done. You know to send us emails or not, whatever. We like yep. to see your emails. Some of you guys are funny. Yeah, you guys are really funny and uh, very nice. Actually, you're all very nice to us and. You, you don't know. have to be. <laughs> right. If yeah, you want to sure. be the one that breaks the ice on the mean, mm-hmm. the mean one, go ahead. And uh, any we'll ideas, uh, some of you have been sending us ideas, and we like to hear it all. Uh, if, you, if you never hear your idea, don't be disheartened. Just keep on right. sending us We barely ideas, know what we're so, doing, right. as you probably already yeah, know. But so. it definitely gives us material for when we're really struggling yeah, to find and a some good of it story, is my, so. maybe your idea might not be exactly what we talk about yet. Yeah. But it could lead us to something that we have talked about. Quite often, I have maybe the next couple of weeks an idea of what I'm going to do. Yeah. But, yeah. It can yeah. always change. Right. 
Uh, make sure you check out our other like mini episodes, Entertainment Crackers. We do all sorts of stuff, food taste tests, trivia. We do um, lists like uh, movie reviews. Yeah, movie reviews. Uh, We're gonna have all sometimes sorts of even stuff. a specific person. We had our Arnold episode. Yeah, that yeah. one was pretty fun. Yeah. So yep. you know, check us out. Tell your friends. Tell any Charles in your life. Yeah. Any Charles. Any non-Charles in your life. And uh, yeah, we hope that we'll see you guys on the next one. Yep.